0: Welcome to the Junkets Games podcast, where in today's episode, you'll be hearing the audio from a recent Good Games vlog. In that video, I discussed my initial impressions for City of the Big Shoulders, Paris Connection, as well as Ride the Rails. Now, if you're not interested in listening to all of these sections, then feel free to go to the description of this podcast to find timestamps for the parts that you want to listen to. The next thing I'd like to mention is the fact that these podcasts are only made possible through the Patreon campaign for the channel, and you can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash jongetsgames. If you enjoy listening to my vlogs in podcast form like this, then I do hope that you would consider directly supporting that campaign. The final thing that I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as a comment on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. Alright, let's now start talking about games, and the first of them is going to be City of the Big Shoulders. Now, this is a game that I heard a little bit about over the last couple of years, and the main things that I heard was this is a heavy Euro that has 18xx style stock mechanics. Now, in general, I've run away screaming from games that have stock mechanics in them, so... I've never gave uh, City of the Big Shoulders any further thought. But then two things happened recently. Um, The first thing is that I have recently fallen in love with Cube Rails-style games, and that's um, definitely made me realize that not all stock games don't work for me. I'm definitely enjoying a lot of these games that have stocks in them. And the second thing is that uh, Shut Up and Sit Down put out a glowing video review of City of the Big Shoulders just about a week or two ago. Uh, I watched that video, and it made me realize that actually, I think I want to try this game out because, I mean, A, they gave a glowing recommendation of at least playing it on Board Game Arena, and B, you know, I'm I'm enjoying exploring the stock uh, mechanics in games a lot more than I used to. So, a uh, couple of my friends said they were also interested, and we ended up getting together, and we played a three-player game of this on Board Game Arena. Now, I don't want to put words in um, the shut-up-and-sit-down uh, video's mouth, but um, it did seem like they emphasized that they hadn't played it very much in real life, like on a table, but they played it a bunch online where a lot of the mechanics were kind of taken care of for you through the website, and that is the way that we played this one as well. Um, Now, before I talk about how it went for us, I'd like to talk briefly about how this game works. Now, there is a lot going on. A rules teach for this one can easily take 45 to 50 minutes, so I'm not going to go into the nitty-gritty, but At a very high level, this is a game, um, a Euro-style game, of trying to um, make your factories make stuff that will end up getting you points. Um, It's a worker placement-style game where you have a certain number of these partners who act as workers, and you send them out to spots in the middle of the board to perform the action of that spot. Most of the spots can only have one partner go down onto them, and there is a really cool mechanic with the worker placement that I want to talk about before I really discuss anything else. Um, Now, in this game, there are a few worker placement spots out there in the beginning, but the game takes place over five rounds, and in each round, each player is going to add a new worker placement spot to the board. You have three to choose from, and you choose one, um, and then you do other stuff with the others, but when you place that worker placement spot down onto the board, you put it onto a row that matches your color. That's important because whenever people activate that spot, it will generate benefits for the player who put that tile down. So, not only are you changing what the action options are uh, from one round to the next and from one game to the next, but um, you are also trying to fill your pockets with money because people want to go to your spot. It's a really interesting balance because you might say, oh, this is a really good action. It might be too good for my opponents, but those really powerful actions oftentimes have a big price tag, so you might put that down onto the board knowing you are unlikely to be able to to use it before somebody else does, but when they do, maybe you get like 60 or 70 money from the bank, which is uh, certainly a nice thing to get when you need to spend money to buy stocks later on. So I love the evolving worker placement area, and I love the decisions that go into actually figuring out what to place down. So you have these worker placement spots, and the stuff that they do is pretty varied. It might get you resources. It might get you actual workers that you use um, for your factories, um, and it could also get you money in a variety of different ways. Now, I'd like to talk about the factories more because this is why you are doing all of that worker placement. Um, At the start of the game, you're going to uh, buy into the directorship of one of the game's companies, and then you can buy into more throughout the game. Uh, And I will say that there is a standard game and then an advanced game. We played the standard version. In the advanced game, people can buy out the directorship from you, so you can actually lose a company that you've been working on all game long. But in the standard version of the game, if you started that company, you keep it the whole game no matter what. Uh, So... In this game, you get that uh, company, and it will have a variety of factories. And um, simply put, the factories have a requirement to run, and if you meet that requirement, then they run and they make goods and goods are good. (laughs) So these requirements are um, usually some number of workers that you have to hire, and they stick around until you decide to get rid of them um, through automation. Uh, And you also likely need these little cubes, which are resources um, to actually um, make the factories run. So you're going to work replacement placement to get these cubes. There are other ways to get the cubes as well that I won't really go into, quite a few ways. (laughs) Uh, But uh, a big thing that you're doing is trying to make sure that you have the stuff that you need, because once you finish all of the worker placement, you then go into a, a company company activation phase. Now, each company has an appeal value, which is essentially how popular they are, and that is the order in which these companies are going to run, which is pretty important because as these companies run, they can buy um, resource cubes from a public market, which could certainly vary things around. If you really need that one cube, maybe you want to try to be more appealing before uh, than, somebody, than some other company so that you can get there first. Um, but then you're going to run all the factories that you can and you get these goods, and then you put them down onto a demand board. Um, it's a section of the board with little spots to put these little uh, cylinders, and then you're going to get paid out money depending on your, your uh, company uh, for each of those goods, and then you can get other perks and bonuses as well. But this is important because... If other people make that specific good before you, if other people's companies are more appealing than you, they might fill up all the good demand, take all the good bonuses, and leave you to not uh, make as much money. Uh, Now, I do say you. It's actually the companies that are making this money, and every time they actually sell this stuff, it pays out um, dividends to all of the players. And I'm really trying not to go into the weeds of the mechanics, and I'm sure I already am, but um, to briefly talk about the stocks before I go into my impressions of the game, In this game, each one of the individual companies has a variety of stocks that you can buy in it. Uh, The directorship that you buy into to start the company is three stocks out of ten. And every time that company sells those goods, it pays money out to everyone who has shares, or it could withhold the money, which is more complicated and never happened in our game. Um, Doesn't seem like it's a good thing to do, but paying out money does seem to be great. So you can actually buy stocks in other people's companies. I might have a directorship share in this company and then a couple shares in my opponent's companies, which means when they make those uh, companies go well, I actually get some money as well, like right into my own personal area. And at the start of each one of the rounds, you can spend your money to buy stocks in your companies or other companies. Um, Now, the last thing about stocks is the fact that You win the game by having the most personal money, but for the most part, you're just spending that money buying stocks, and then the rest of that money, the money that you spent for those stocks, goes into the companies themselves. So when you're placing those workers out there onto the board or partners, um, you're spending the money from those companies, not from your personal coffers, which is a really interesting balance because it means if nobody's really buying stocks in a company, then it might not have enough funds to really do everything That it wants to do, which means it might not make as much money, which means it'll pay out less for the people who actually have stocks for it. Uh, Now, this game takes place over five rounds, and we played a three player game on Board Game Arena where all of the dividend calculations and all of those things were taken care of. I will say that um, I've barely played anything on Board Game Arena before, and we lost quite a bit of time just being unfamiliar with the uh, interface. (laughs) So, to a certain extent, it seemed like it saved a lot of time, but In another way, it was also a little bit clunkier than I would have expected um, because I'm used to playing a tabletop simulator, for example, uh, which, you know, has its pluses and its minuses. Um, Now, we all enjoyed the game. I think... Our three-player game maybe took three hours, maybe a little bit under three hours, and we had a a decent amount of downtime as we were just thinking through things, uh, having a great time. Honestly, all three of us really enjoyed the game, and I walked away from this experience feeling like I would happily play this game again, but the prominent thought that I had in my mind is I wish this was just a Euro game. Uh, Now, I'm a Euro gamer (laughs) in a very, very big way. I'm just starting to dip my toes into the stock buying and selling and that kind of uh, mechanics in games, which I guess to a certain extent is kind of a Euro game thing, but not as much. And, And I feel like I would prefer City of the Big Shoulders more if there weren't any stocks. And I know that is a huge part of this game. To remove that from the game is, is, a, is a big deal. But I loved the engine building of um, trying to make your factories run better because you can add managers and you can add salespeople. Um, and the managers can actually give you really cool bonuses. Um, and you are also going to be um, changing the worker placement spots on the board. I thought the demand um, uh, system was brilliant. The way you want to have a more appealing company to actually get in early and fulfill all of that demand. I thought all that worked really well. And honestly, the stocks part also worked well. I don't have any criticisms of the stock mechanics. It seemed to work great, except for the fact that it didn't really do that much for me. Um, I think a big reason for that is because I still don't really fully understand how to do well with stocks. Um, With all of the Cube Rails games that I've been enjoying so much over the last month, Sure, there's a lot of stocks, but those games are also, like, 60 minutes long, and they have, you know, one to two pages of rules instead of, I think, 44 pages? I think it's a 44-page rulebook for uh, City of the Big Shoulders. So, that's it's a pretty big difference there. And while we were playing City of the Big Shoulders, uh, by about the middle part of the game, it just seemed like my friend Dave was winning. And I, I could not figure out how to affect that uh, in this game. You can actually sell stocks to make share prices go down, and I did have some stocks in at least one of Dave's companies. So once the dust settled at the end of the game, I realized maybe I should have targeted those stocks and actually liquidated a bunch of them right before the end of the game to lower the amount that they would be worth, so that they would actually get less money. And I think that's just on me being a novice uh, in the stocks mechanics world of games, but. At the same time, I think just my love for euro games as they are, and the awesome mechanics of this game made me feel like um I don't think it needed all of that stock stuff. Uh, a lot of people are gonna really enjoy that being added on, but as a euro game, uh, just you know the running the factories that you have in front of you, you just maybe you just keep them and you 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 know get one, two, or three by the end of the game, and uh, obviously something else would have to come into play like if you excise the stocks, it's not exactly a house rule that's a completely different game, but I feel like the Euro game mechanics are so tight in this game that um, that would also have worked out fine. Um, I have been told that maybe I should just try Arkwright, um, which I don't really know a lot about. I think there are some similarities there, and I have never played Arkwright, so uh, it's possible that's something I should dabble in. And I do want to circle back to say that I enjoyed City of the Big Shoulders all the way through, um, even though I I came in second. Uh, I think two of us were quite close, very close, and then one person was like, 25 to 30 percent more points than we had. You know, we're in like the thousands of points. It was like 4,000 points to 3,000 points uh, or money, I guess, at the end of these games. Um, And I guess the fact that we couldn't figure out how to stop Dave was a bit of a bummer, especially in like a three-hour game. But I don't really blame the game for that. I I do think that that was just me being a novice in stockholding and selling style games. And if I was to play this game a bunch, I'm sure I'd be able to figure out how to uh, get around that. But I guess the other part to it was I couldn't figure out why Dave was doing so well. Uh, and I even mentioned that in the middle of the game. I was just kind of, you know, we're having a conversation about how things were going. And, you know, we're all buying stocks and we're you know, selling stocks a little bit. And we're doing all these smart things. And Dave was just pulling more and more ahead. And I feel like he did the stock market game better than I did somehow. I don't really understand because I'm bad at stock market type stuff, especially when there's so many other things going on. And I guess that is the other reason why I feel like if this game was just the Euro game and I lost, I would have a much better idea of why. Like, oh, I was weak in this and I over-prioritized that. Whereas in this game, it was like I was doing cool stuff. I was enjoying the game. I was really enjoying the uh, process of using those worker placement spots and running all of the factories and getting a whole bunch of stuff. And then I just watch Dave get more and more ahead. And I'm just like, I don't know why that's happening, but I'm still having fun. So that's really all that matters. Uh, So I guess that should probably wrap up my my thoughts about City of the Big Shoulders. Uh, This is a game that I would really not mind playing again. I'm actually kind of curious to try this one out in person. Um, Maybe it's just because I've played so much Tabletop Simulator and that is much more similar to in-person gaming versus board game arena, which is more of like a video game. Uh, I definitely felt like I was missing out a bit on the tactile nature of the game. And I know it sounds silly to say that tabletop simulator is tactile, but I have like 600 plus hours of gaming in tabletop simulator. And it could be kind of hard to track what my opponents were doing on board game arena because you know, it's browser based. So there is a, a chat log on the side, which tells you every single little thing, but I'm inherently used to now just seeing where people's mouse cursors are, where the little hand is and what they're clicking on and what they're moving on. Like that's all part of the gaming experience in a way that sitting down to a table with a bunch of people and seeing where they're looking and where they're touching and what they're talking about is a part of the game. And I feel like playing on board game arena kind of, slams this opaque shield in front of it where you're just kind of looking at the uh, the console and seeing the reactions of the actions that your opponents did instead of actually seeing them contemplate all of those things. Uh, so I also wouldn't mind, I think, trying this in Tabletop Simulator. I know that there's a lot of um, Math and a lot of uh, exchanging of money that board game arena does automatically, which is great, but I also think that I'm experienced enough with these things to be able to handle it. Uh, but either way, uh, I hope at some point to try uh, City of the Big Shoulders again because I was impressed by it. It was fun all the way through, and I think it's likely that uh, the three of us might give this one another shot in the future, most likely on board game arena now that we've uh, worked through several of the uh, the kinks. but uh we'll just have to see if that happens. It's not like at the very top of my must play again list, but I would be more than happy to play it in the future. All right, let's move on to the second game, and this one is Paris Connection. Uh, Now, this was recommended by several people to me after I put out the last Good Games vlog, where I discussed trans siberian Railroad as well as Iberian Gage, which are both Cube Rails-style games. Uh, Paris Connection is also a Cube Rails-style game. It came out in 2010 um, as SNCF, and then it was um, picked up by Queen and published as Paris Connection. Uh, Now, this is the uh, lightest of the Cube Rails games that i played, especially as far as rules are concerned. There's almost no rules to this game at all. Um, you have a grid uh, map of uh, France, and you have uh, six different train companies. At the start of the game, you randomly get a number of trains out of the bag, and you put them behind your little shield, and each train behind your shield actually acts as a stock in that specific train company. Then you dump the rest of the bag out and put all of the trains onto these little boards because those train companies are new- And then during the game, you either take one to five trains from a single uh, company and place them out on the board, just laying track essentially, or you can take one of your stock trains from behind your shield and put it back into a company and then take one or two from a different company behind your shield. And that's essentially the game. (laughs) Uh, When you lay out track, you're actually going to increase the score for that specific company based off of the spots that you put it down onto. But unlike all of the other Cube Rails-style games that I played, um, this one has hidden stocks. Uh, At the start of the game, you have no idea what's behind each person's shield. But then as you start to watch people get rid of this one train to take one or two of that one, you can start to have an idea like, oh, that person's pulled a lot of purple trains. Oh, that person is dumping a lot of the brown trains. And there is this really interesting... Um, I guess, groupthink or just meta that that evolves around the table as people kind of realize which trains are going to be winners and which trains are going to be losers. Um, The losers being the ones that are people often getting rid of trains to actually take other stock. Now, here's the trick. There are only so many of each train token. So when you take those as stock, that's less trains that can go out onto the map. And the more trains that go out onto the map, more likely the higher the uh, score is for each of those trains. And once the game is over, you lift up your shield and each one of those tokens is worth points equal to the score for that specific rail line. So that means if you know, the purple train is a winner, uh, and everybody kind of feels that way, they keep taking this purple train stock, then it's actually going to kind of stall out. And, um, I've actually played this one twice. The first game had a pretty significant asterisk, but it was mostly the right game. The second game, I think we played, uh, fully correctly. Um, and, it, it was interesting because in the early stages of the game, you could see, okay, you know, purple is a winner and, you know, purple's getting uh, slammed out there. People are running that track out and everybody's buying purple stock and now there's no more purple trains. And purple is at like, you know, maybe eight or nine points on the track. And so the game goes on and now people are giving up brown and then they're starting to lay a bunch of black track or one person is just going crazy on black track while other people are doing other things. And suddenly you realize like, oh, crap, the black company is now up to like, you know, 10 or 12 points each, and I haven't really invested in that because I've been doing other things. So now maybe there's like a run on the uh, black track to get those victory points, which will deplete the stock for it. And also, as people um, kind of decide what they want and what they don't want, things are going to go back into supply. Uh, So there's some really interesting um, ramifications of the decisions in this game because while you're playing, sure, you could see like, oh, the black train is, the black company is doing really well. I should get some of that stock. Or maybe you just say, I'm going to lay five black train tokens down off into the middle of nowhere, doing nothing for the black company. Um That's going to deplete the number of trains that can be used to buy stock, which could be worth points, and also depletes the number of trains that could be used to do productive things. Because when you lay tracks down in the countryside, it doesn't do anything. It's all about connecting various cities back to Paris, which is why it's called Paris Connection. So if I only have one or maybe zero black stock, and I can tell black is doing really well, and I can infer that one or two of my opponents have a decent amount of it, It's probably better for me to just waste the trains and lay five of them out into the middle of nowhere um, than to actually try to catch up in the stock game because they're probably going to be winning that stock race anyway. So you can really mess with people in this very simple overall game. Uh, And there's certainly a mind game situation where you start to figure out who might be also going in on the stocks that you have. And obviously you want to do better than that person. And then suddenly they might sell that stock and take a different one. And you're like, wait, what's going on? And then things can definitely change uh, position quite rapidly. Uh, Now, there is one interesting and important part to the game, and that is the stock limit. Depending on the number of people that you're playing with, you can have a certain number of stocks behind your shield, and if you have any in addition to that limit, you lose 20 points per stock. Uh, It's possible for the stocks to be worth more than 20 points, although that's somewhat unlikely, at least as far as I can tell from my two plays of the game. So, what that means is, As you're playing through the game, you start off with X number of stock, and Y stock is the limit before you start getting penalized, and every time you do a trade, you give up one stock to take one or two back. That means if things are going well, you get rid of one stock to get two, which means you now have more stock than you had before. So you start with X, and Y is kind of like the goal to a certain extent, and I didn't realize this until I was halfway through my second uh, play of the game, because I don't know, more stocks are probably better. As long as the stocks aren't worth literally nothing, <laughs> Having um, ending the game at the stock limit is probably not a bad idea. Um, and uh, at the end of our second game, which, again, didn't have a big asterisk, the asterisk for the first game is um, I accidentally had about 20 or 30 less trains in the system, so the game ended too early. But at the end of our second game, where I set it up actually correctly, um, no one was at the actual stock limit level, and the person who won did have one more stock than the person who uh than the next place person and in fact um it was I think a four player game uh one person had uh the most stocks, then two people were tied for the most, and one person had the least and that was the scoring condition as well. The person with the most stocks was in first the person with the least stocks was in last, and then the people who had the same amount of stocks were within a couple of points of each other. Uh, one of my friends mentioned that they felt like that. Was a bit lame that they're like, oh, well, you know, maybe none of this really matters. It just, you just need to have more stock. And I could kind of see where they're coming from. But I also think that that's just part of the game. Like on your turn, you either lay track or you exchange out for stocks. And which stocks that you take is an important question to uh, to have. And as I said, none of us ended the game at the stock limit. And that's because we got to the point where we could only make maybe one-to-one stock trades with good companies because all of the trains were gone because the game was so far gone. It didn't make sense to get rid of a good stock to take two awful stock that's worth, you know, like one point each. If you get rid of a stock that's worth 11 points for one plus one or two, that's a really bad idea, even though you have more stock. So it seems like it's baked into the game. Like I think that's just part of the game. The earlier you start buying stock, the more stock you will end the game with, but the less knowledge you have about which train company is actually going to be good. So uh, I'm not convinced that that's actually a negative on the game, and I'm not saying my friend is wrong. Obviously, you know, he is. Uh, uh, his opinion is completely valid, and that totally makes sense, but for me, I really didn't mind that, um, that reality, that the person with the most stocks won the game because I feel like that means they probably pushed their luck maybe a little bit better or they just played a little bit better uh, towards the odds in order to sneak in one more stock buying round than the rest of us did before things kind of got more locked in in the uh, later stages of the game. I will say that the end game is a little bit funky. Uh, This game is quite quick to play, like 30 minutes, if not even uh, quicker than that. But um, especially in the second game, a little bit in the first game, but again, big asterisk. But in the second game, it got to the point where The game was essentially over, but it wasn't quite over yet. Um, The game ends once uh, all but one of the companies has no trains, or when one train company hits down a specific spot, Marseille, on the board. And um, at the end of the second game, or when we were closing in on the end of the second game, two companies had a bunch of trains left, and those companies were stinkers. Nobody was really caring about them because people were ditching those stocks to get all the good stocks. Um, And by the time we got to the point where four of the crane companies were gone and there's just two companies left, it was like nobody was going to trade into those companies. So if you like wanted to make any of those companies good, there's no way they were going to get good enough to actually change these things out. So we almost had a group think situation where it was like, I'm not going to do any better, so I want the game to end. So you just, like, lay five track out from a company you don't care about, and the next person says the same thing. So, like, the last, like, two turns around the the table were just people laying out track for a company they had no stock in and didn't care about just to get to the end game condition. Um, Now, it didn't drag on. It was a very quick exchange, but it was still a little bit of a a strange end. And it's possible it's just because we're playing the game bad. (laughs) Again, we played it twice. One time had a a big asterisk, um, and we're all um, newbies to... Cube Rails in general, or at least most of us are. So um, I'm quite curious uh, to try Paris Connection more. It, it's so simple. It's so easy to teach. Um, and I thought the decisions were quite cool, like the the, the swinging back and forth of which trained companies were actually good, the surprises that happened uh, in that second uh, game. The person who won um, had a late game push for purple, and they actually said that that was their strategy. Um, they went the whole game um, strategically trading out for purple stock, very sparingly so that it wasn't like a habit. It wasn't like, oh, Tevy has bought purple stock three turns in a row. What's going to happen with purple? He would like take, you know, a couple of purple and then do other stuff for like three to four turns and then maybe grab another couple purple and do three, uh, do other things. While the purple company, well, he wasn't actually building out the purple train. That was the interesting thing. And then suddenly while we're all doing our own things, he just explodes out with a purple train. And obviously we ended up trying to skunk that train because he had more stocks than us. But before we were able to skunk out the company, he got purple up to a really high spot. And when we revealed all of our stocks, he had like seven purple stock behind his screen. And that is also, I think, a big reason why why he won. He did have one more stock than the rest of us, but I also think that he just invested well and won the game because of it, which makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I have been impressed with Paris Connection. Like I said, we played it twice in one night, uh, and I'm looking forward to trying this one more. Uh, we played it at three players and then at four players, uh, and I thought it was fine at either of those player counts. I wouldn't mind even playing it with uh, more people to see what that's like as well, because uh, the game does go so quickly, and um, the dynamics of where these trains are and where they're going, and, you know, trying to get into the mind games of what stocks each people has uh, was certainly interesting enough for me to want to uh, give this one some more goes. All right, we've now reached the third and final game I'll be talking about today, and that one is Ride the Rails. Now, this one was originally published as Rail USA, I think, back in 2014, uh, and then Ride the Rails came out, I believe, in 2020. Uh, this is a Capstone release, I believe. It's the second game in their Iron Rails series. Uh, the first one was Irish Gauge, and the third one is Iberian Gauge. Uh, now. I've been quite interested in playing ride the rails for a while. Uh, in fact, I've watched like three or four full playthroughs that other people have made on their YouTube channels, uh, like, um, heavy cardboard and gaming rules, because I was intrigued by this game. Uh, now I know why now that I'm like fully jumping into the cube rails space. I'm like, Oh, I was wanting to try this even a year ago. And I just never got around to actually making it happen. Um, so, In the same night that we played uh, Paris Connection a couple of times, we also played Ride the Rails. Now, we played this one with five players around the table, and it was a first play for all of us. Uh, We played it in Tabletop Simulator, which has a very nice scripted mod that handled a lot of the busy bookkeeping that happens in the game. Now, mechanically, in this game, you have a map of the United States, and on it, there are a whole bunch of these neutral passengers that want to ride the rails, which is the name of the game. Now, In this game, you're going to go through six rounds, and there is a firm structure to how each round works. At the beginning of each of the rounds, everyone can buy into one company, they can buy one stock. But an interesting part about this game, and also um, Paris Connection, I should have mentioned this as well, both of these games are uh, investing stock market style games with no money at all. Um, You don't need to have enough money to buy that stock, you just need to spend the action to do it. And in Ride the Rails, Every single turn, you are going to take exactly one stock. And the question is, which companies do you take a stock from? Uh, Now, when you take that stock, you simply take one of their train tokens. So much like Paris Connection, a train token on your player board in front of you is a stock, whereas when it's out there on the map, it is a track that, that can actually be used by you and potentially other players. After each player has taken their one stock, then players are going to be able to actually lay track down, and you can only lay track for companies that you have at least one stock in. And again, those tokens can be trains or stock, which means if a lot of people have invested in one company, then that company will have less trains to actually lay track out on the board. Now, after you have laying track on the board, you will then move one passenger along uh, these tracks in order to get points, essentially. I mean, technically, it's money, but realistically, it's a point track around the outside. And the way this works is a little bit hard to explain in uh, uh, this medium right here, but I'm going to give it a go. Now, essentially, you are going to count the number of links that you move that passenger down, and a link is just a set of trains of the same company color from one city to the next. So if you the passenger starts in one city and moves to the next city over there, they've crossed over one link, and you as a player are going to get one money for every city that, that passenger was in. So that means that the first city they started in is going to give you money, and you move to the next city, That's two, you get two points. Now, let's say it's in the middle of the game and you're able to move that passenger through seven cities. So it starts on one and it goes through seven different links. That's actually seven plus one or eight money that you just got. But then in addition to that, Every time you cross a link, which is, of course, a line of colored trains, you're going to move this little cube up on the track on the side of the board for that specific train color. So that means if I moved through seven links and three of them were blue, two of them were red, and one of them was yellow, then I will have moved the blue cube up three times, the uh, red cube up twice, and the yellow cube up once. And then I get my seven, uh, or I guess eight money for the eight cities that passenger was in, and after that, Everyone gets paid out for their stocks in the companies that had that passenger go through them. So, again, in this example, you have three blue, two red, and a yellow. That means every player who has a blue stock will get three money for each of their blue stock because it went up three times. Same with the red stock. Every red stock is going to be worth two money because it went up twice, and every yellow stock will be worth one money because, it went, uh, because only one yellow link was used in this example. So, what that means is you, as the active player, probably want to send this passenger as far as you can because the farther they go is just the more points that you get. But you have to make sure that you're not using other train companies that are better uh, investments for your opponents. Um, Like, if you go across those three blue links and you have zero blue stock maybe that was a bad idea because your opponents who have blue stock, maybe one of them has two or even three blue stock. They'll be overjoyed that you decided to use that section. And so you have to be constantly thinking, how far do you want to go with this passenger? How far can you go with this passenger? And, is this helping my opponents out more than it's actually helping me based off of the stocks that I have actually invested in. Uh, Now, it's worth noting that it's kind of a snake game where you can never double back through the same hex. So you're trying to do this long snaking thing as best as you can before you end up having to stop. And the uh, mod on Tabletop Simulator fortunately handled all of these things. Uh, We had to actually move the cubes up, but then it just auto-calculated how far that uh, passenger went, and then you clicked a button and it just paid everybody else out for all of their dividends uh, for their stocks. So, I have not actually played this one in real life, although I've watched a bunch of um, playthroughs of it. And it doesn't seem like it's actually that hard to process that. It just seems like you finish the move and you say, okay, you know, I moved eight times, I take eight money, and then everybody else take your stocks, and everybody just looks over and, and they just do their own thing. They just easily count those. They look at their own stocks in front of them. They take their own money and then play moves on. I think if you tried to have one person govern all of that stuff, then that would potentially be a problem. And again, you don't actually hold money in this game. It's just a score track around the outside. So you could also just have people just call out how many points they get and just move it around the outside. So I don't think that would actually be that big of a deal. Uh, Now, you play through six rounds of the game, and in most of the rounds new trains are actually going to be unlocked, which is pretty interesting. In the very first round, there's just two trains that you can choose from to uh, buy stocks in. Uh, in our five-player game, three people went with the red company and then two people went with the blue company. And then in the second round of the game, I believe it's the yellow company that gets unlocked or maybe it's the orange. Don't quote me on these uh, exact order. But then the question is, do people invest in that new company or do they keep investing in the previous company that they've already gone through? However, since there was such a bottleneck of investment opportunities at the start of the game, odds are good that even by the time the second round has come around, that um, there's not as many trains in those red and blue companies anymore. Certainly, by the time you get to the third round, you should be investing in other things because there might be no more red or blue trains at all, uh, depending, of course, on the specific situation of the game that you played. So, yeah, you play through all six of the rounds, and then whoever has the most points wins, and the game really escalates in the amount of stuff that happens. In the first couple rounds, you're not sending sending the passenger very far, but in the later rounds of the game, you might send the passenger through like 18 links, um, which takes them all the way across the United States doing a whole variety of different uh, paths, and I got to admit, I loved the network building of this game. Uh, I enjoy network building in general, and... One thing I've noticed with some of these Cube Rails games is that um, there might be, like, dominant paths that kind of evolve, and I've only played Ride the Rails once, but I really had the feeling of from my one play and then also watching several other playthroughs that the way these trains are laid out on the board is significantly different from one game to the next, and the game is all about trying to play the best you can for your current stock holdings, considering the layout that is forming on the board. And of course, you had a big impact on that. There's little alliances forming back and forth as people are trying to make one company do well, and then maybe breaking those alliances because, oh, you're doing slightly better than I am. And there's all these things that you're trying to consider. And then you just have the wonderful aesthetic of this map being built out in front of you. And again, I love the fact that you're building this huge, uh, varied network, and then you're using it over and over uh, I feel like a lot of times in uh Cube rail games you just build the the trains out you place them out you know you connect that city and the income goes up for that uh, company and that's kind of it it's just those trains are there; they're essentially dead, and you work off from that spot to do other things. But not in ride the rails. In this game, you lay these out and you actually run through them. And sure, some people are using the same kind of loop. Like when we were playing our game, we would oftentimes run through the link and be like, "Oh, this, 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 this," and then the same old run a six. And like there was a, definitely a, a dominant super highway of track that was used quite a bit. But every time we play the game even though that's probably going to happen, it's going to be a different dominant superhighway, I imagine. Again, my data set is tiny. I've only played once, but I've watched several other playthroughs. And I just really am fascinated by that. Uh, Now, it's pretty cool the fact that Ride the Rails comes with just one map in the base game, but then there is an expansion map that came out that introduces a France side and a Germany side. And then coming out soon, in a couple of months, there's going to be a new expansion map for Canada and Australia. Uh, Now, I'm actually going to be filming a sponsored tutorial for Ride the Rails um, in a couple of months, and I'm going to do it with the second map expansion. So it'll be Canada or Australia. I'm not sure which one I'm going to be filming just yet because I don't actually know how they work. Um, But I'm pretty excited to do that, to to show how these different maps are going to work. Uh, From what I can tell, each map, subtly tweaks the gameplay, keeps the uh, core idea uh, the same, but then, you know, little tweaks here or there, little special bonuses for this and that, um, which is going to keep the game a little bit more varied as well. And I think it's great to see that kind of uh, content coming out for a game system that seems quite robust. Uh, so I'm happy to have a copy of it. I'm looking forward to making a sponsored video for it. And I'm also just looking forward to playing this one more in the future. It's funky. Um, I didn't do well. I think I might've come in dead last in this game, which, um, was not frustrating, but it was definitely a situation where I was like, I felt like I was making good decisions, but it just, I wasn't able to quite catch up as much as I could. And I even got the special bonus for connecting the two coasts, which I don't really want to go into, but, um, I still, I, I had a hard time actually doing well in the game, but I still really enjoyed it. Um, so that's just, I guess, another data point for me. Like the fact that I'm curious to try this more, to try and figure out more, I think. I could definitely pinpoint certain moments like I almost bought a certain stock, and then I changed my mind and went for a different one. And I feel like that might have been the moment where I lost the game. It was in the uh, fourth round, I believe. Um, But, you know, we'll never know. (laughs) Uh, I made the decision that I made, and I didn't end up uh, coming close to winning. So, obviously, there's probably many decisions I could have made to do better. Um, And I'm looking forward to exploring the space more in the future. Um, Again, playing it on Tabletop Simulator is pretty easy because of the automated scripting. But... um, I also wouldn't shy away from playing this one uh, with other people, although it's probably going to be many months until that potentially happens. Uh, I guess I should um, wrap this up by uh, once again emphasizing that I will be making a sponsored video for this game. I should have mentioned this right at the very beginning. Um, So, you know, there's bias there. I've made sponsored videos for Capstone Games in the past. So take all of the stuff that I've said, all of the opinions uh, with a grain of salt because I do have a paid financial uh, relationship with Capstone Games. But um, all that being said, I I still personally, think that I enjoy the game for itself. And uh, I'm looking forward to playing it more in the future. Well, that's going to bring this Good Games vlog to a close, and uh, yeah, I think I have more Cube Rails games on the horizon that I will probably be talking about as well. Uh, Hopefully, I'm not boring people talking about these over and over again, but I've learned the rules to like at least seven other Cube Rails games that I haven't even played just yet, and I obviously want to play them now that I've learned the rules to them. So, these Good Games vlogs might be somewhat dominated by more of these Cube Rails experiences for the next month or two. I can't really say. I'm sure I'm going to play some other things. I'm really hoping to get a play of Dominant Species Marine in soon, which is definitely not a cube rails game. Um, But um, yeah, probably more cube rails in the future. Uh, And hopefully um, learning about these is uh, somewhat interesting for people who um, did not previously know about them. Me being one of those people, I didn't know about any of these things until about five or so weeks ago. Well, I think at this point that is going to bring this podcast to a close. Thanks for listening.